When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love, these abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. From the Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the 13th chapter. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Dowd. And I'm Don Underwood. Don Underwood is with us on Offscript. How, how exciting is this? All right, so normally the way this goes uh, for y'all who listen regularly, uh, normally I would start doing a little introduction thing about the previous day's sermon, but we had a very special guest preacher yesterday. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny to call him the guest preacher since he <laughs> right. preached there every Sunday for 37 years. Mm-hmm. But podcast, okay, so normally Offscript is where we take a deeper dive on last Sunday's sermon, talk about the theology behind it, get a chance to, to discuss anything that ended up on the cutting room floor, but we're going to talk about a lot more than that today because uh, Don is with us. So, hey, let's start talking about yesterday, impressions of yesterday. What, what Was it what you expected? Was it different than you expected? Was it everything you'd hoped for? Like, talk about that. Well, it was, it was just over the top. I'd come up here on Saturday and worked a little bit out of my office, and so I'd seen the way they'd set up the atrium and everything, and I thought... I mean, this is really Christ Church. I, I quoted uh, Don Renshaw. You may not remember Don Renshaw in my benediction yesterday where Don told me in the spring of 83, he said, people in Plano, all you got to do is point the direction and just get out of their way. Mm. And I thought this was just so typical, whether it's a <laughs> vacation Bible school set or whatever it is, they just go over the top. And so I had some idea. Uh, but, I mean, it was just wonderful. It was remarkable. I, I didn't know the um, the the uh, I knew the choir was going to be singing. I didn't know the orchestra was going to be there. I was thrilled with that. Uh, the The music, uh, the the naming of Underwood Hall was such a huge surprise, and I have to tell you, no one really feels worthy of something like that. Um, the people, I guess, really, it was just the people. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe in some ways, it was just just the warmth of the of the ovation, the standing ovation, that was the most meaningful. <laughs> More than one of them. Uh, yeah, there were. There yeah, were, yeah. They, they applauded for you when you walked out on the chancel. And then at the end of your sermon, I don't know how many sermons in 37 years, 50 years of preaching, got standing ovations, but that yeah. one got a big one. It did get a big one. And, <laughs> and, then, uh, and I appreciate it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I, I just very much appreciate it. There, there, there are no words, really, to express your response in a situation like this is just was overwhelming and I'm very grateful. So uh, are you willing to share with uh, the audience what you told me about Underwood Hall? So it's not Don Underwood Hall, it's Underwood Hall. Yeah, well, I was uh, having breakfast with my wife, Bobby, this morning, who's a little bit, you know, she couldn't uh, be here. But I told her, I said, you know, um, and this this is something I should have told her a long time ago, probably. <laughs> I said, Bob's, you know, 50-year career, and honestly, I, I couldn't have done it, any of it, beginning in, in our first, we got married one year before I left Frisco, but, you know, Burke Burnett, 
Plano. I said, I couldn't have done any of it had it not been for you. So I just want you to know that when I saw that Underwood Hall, yeah. to me, it's it's Don and Bobby Underwood Hall. You're a part of it. So. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And that's so true. I mean, yeah. anybody in this line of work. Yeah. Preachers, we know that, that without really supportive spouses, the work is, is just too difficult. It, amen. So uh, biggest surprise yesterday? I think it was Underwood Hall. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah like, and that was really a surprise. Yeah, oh yes, we worked very hard to keep it a surprise. Uh, I, I would tell you, I mean, if there, I don't know how many people knew about it, but the circle uh, of trust was very small. I'm telling you, I sh- nobody, nobody uh, broke with me. <laughs> awesome. So, which I'm glad they didn't, because it was just such a cool surprise, and it kind of came in the, as I think about yesterday and things that I regret, that kind of came in a moment in the in the service where I wasn't really able to respond and didn't really have a, a good chance. I, I thought I kind of had the benediction worked out, but you know, if there's one thing that I would want to respond to say, thank you so much, it would probably be mm-hmm. the naming of the Underwood Hall. You know, when you think about the fact that uh, your grandchildren can someday bring their children here and say, you know, look at Underwood Hall, that means a lot. That's, that's awesome. And I think it's really incredibly fitting that that Pat's got the music wing named after him and the site of the original sanctuary here uh, and the big fellowship gathering yeah. when hospitality has been such an important part yeah. of what you've tried to bring to the church yeah. all these years. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. It's still a gr- such a great room, and it has served us yeah. in so very many ways. Yeah, I mean, from, awesome. from collecting, you know, from blood – People come and giving blood in that room to, to yeah. worship. So it's it's an amazing room. That's awesome. Uh, okay, so what did it mean to you that uh, you know, you're friends with Bishop McKee, been friends with him for a long time, and, of course, Todd, a beloved former associate. Um, what did it mean to you that they were here? Well, it just meant the world. Uh, Bishop McKee and I have been really good friends for a long time. I first heard of him when my father, uh, mm-hmm. he was working for – and he – reference to this he was working for my father at first methodist fort worth and i remember my father telling me man i've got this really sharp young kid working for me <laughs> and dad was so he was such a big uh, mike mckee fan mm. so it just meant uh the world to me that uh he was here and we've become very very close friends in uh recent years and then todd was just the perfect person todd was maybe the most beloved, I, I don't know, we've had so many people, um, Margie McNair and Jan Davis. I, 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 I Say, I can't start naming names yeah, sure. because I'll leave somebody out. But we had a table with them all, pictures of them all. Yeah, um, that was Adrian. great, yeah. yeah. But Todd uh, was just so beloved uh, by the members of this congregation, and he came at a really extremely important transitional time. I don't know whether you know this, but his first Sunday with us was our last Sunday at Glencliff. And yeah. then we moved, and the site, the new site wasn't ready yet, so we spent several weeks at, worshiping at Shepton. And then he he is just extremely gifted and great pastor. People love him. And so really no better person to come and do that than Todd. And 
And, of course, we're still great friends. I teased him too hard when he was here. I realized I did. He's like the younger brother that, you know, this, the whole locker room, you know, uh, the, all the, the jock humor. You know, you just uh, sometimes you work him over too hard. But he was always he was always a good sport about it. And we had a great time. And now he's gone on to become such an important leader in, in United Methodism. And we're proud of it. For sure. I'm going to give him a hard time, though. I told him he had three minutes. He, he, he took 13. Did he really? He took 13? <laughs> yes. I told him the same thing. I said, Todd, three minutes. but he ignored but us both. I, Yeah, he ignored us. <laughs> All right. So uh, in various settings over the past couple of years since I got here and we did the transition, I've um, shared with people that you and I have had kind of remarkably similar career paths. We were both associates at one church mm-hmm. and then served three senior pastorates. Um, I this was my third, ideally my last, if all the goes at all. Yeah, it will be. Yeah. <laughs> and we serve rural churches, county seat churches, and suburban churches. Um, so I would love for you to share a little bit about how, I mean, yesterday was really, it was really awesome. And I know you were uncomfortable being the center of attention. I Not was. just for an hour and a half, but for an hour afterwards in the receiving yeah. line. And you were a champ. <laughs> I tried okay. to hand you, I handed you a bottle of water. I'm sure you had any of it during the, during that hour-long receiving line but it is a unique relationship between a pastor and their congregation and you know you've been doing this for a long time talk a little bit about that from the from the pastor's perspective that that unique relationship that you have with you know ultimately as long as you've been here that's generations of of folks who've you know you've baptized their babies and confirmed their kids and gone to the hospital and done funerals and weddings and all that yeah, well, you mentioned the history. I, I grew up at First Methodist Dallas, but so, and then I went to Sherman, where we both served you as yeah. senior pastor and me as, as a uh, associate pastor in the early seventies. Um, and I went to high school in Denison, so Sherman wasn't that much different. But Frisco, as I described it in my sermon, that was a real shock. It was really different. But of course, I'm a country boy at heart in lots of ways, and. I look back and I know that I was formed uh, by my experiences uh, in Frisco um, and in Burke Burnett. You served Henrietta, which is very similar mm-hmm. to Burke Burnett. Both and close. Of, yeah, and close, both mm-hmm. of them in that Wichita Falls area. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in Frisco, th- there's nothing like um, serving a church that's so small that everybody knows everything, right. you know, and everybody's kind of related. And um, as I've said many times before to to some of our younger clergy whose experiences, uh, pastoral experiences are somewhat different, I said, you know, before I ever came to, and this is true of you as well, before I ever came to Christ Church, I had had buried dozens and dozens of people, mm-hmm. and they weren't just church members. They were my friends, right. you know, and they were people that everybody in town knew in Frisco, and especially in Burke Burnett, we had so many um, tragic uh, deaths in Burke Burnett in the three years that I was there. And somehow living through all of those, I mean, you do kind of live in a glass house uh, if you serve a Burke Burnett or a Henrietta or a Frisco, but that's formative for you. And you begin to learn uh, how to love the church and um, all of its many expressions. I, I always say, you know, I love I love Easter at Christ United, 4,000 people, the orchestra and all that. But I always say, you know, you can go up to, to Tioga or Collinsville, Texas, mm-hmm. and see the little tiny church you want to know. And they're in there with the little, 
you know, five member choir singing, you know, the best they can. And it's, it's not a performance. It's just the real thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's Easter everywhere. So the church and all of its expressions and iterations is such a powerful and organic thing. And and it really is true. We're all related in so many ways. So yesterday, I mean, it's had to have kind of felt like this is your life, or at least this is the last 37 years of your life, (laughs) all those people coming through the line. Yeah. Um, was there like emotionally, what is that like emotionally for, for somebody, you you know, you've led this church so well for so long and, and you've meant different things to different people, depending on how close you've gotten with, you know, particular folks along the way. Uh, And yet they all, uh, you're like a member of the family for all of them. Right. Uh, so like, it's gotta be emotionally draining, man, to, to, uh, have, done all that all morning long yesterday uh, it, it was and you know i had people come up that i've been close to and they've just been around for two or three years and then there were so many people that came up and they've been they were here when i got here 37 yeah, years yeah, ago yeah. and i typically commented i said you were one of the ones that was here you know it was a pretty it was what we today would call a small suburban church but it was a pretty active and for you know it wasn't a tiny suburban church Mm -hmm. by any means and there's still so many people that are here right now that were here when i came and honestly it's it's kind of weird uh a former associate asked me one time when you drive onto the campus and you see these terrific buildings are you just do you sometimes just think oh wow you know i've been able to be a part of that and I said, you know, I really, I never think about it. Mm. Uh, it's just happened one day at a time. And so, but yesterday, uh, on this particular day and and uh, greeting these people that have been a part of my life for 37 years, you know, I thought about it. And mm. it it's, uh, I don't think there are words, really. It's a kind of mystery. I don't know exactly how to understand it or express it to think that, that for one thing, I've... <laughs> I've grown old. I never, you know, <laughs> never thought about it. But um, to have these relationships that are been there so long, and then you're greeting one another after all these years, mm-hmm. it was, it was um, emotional and um, and wonderful. Yeah, you know, at the same time. Yeah, I, anybody who is exploring a call to ministry, I always tell them it's, just, it's the greatest job in the world. It's it's hard, you know, and some some days are tougher than others, and emotionally it can be hard when you have to bury somebody you love you know um but my gosh the the there's a reason we use the word family church family yep right so 37 years here 50 years of ordained ministry though right have i got that right Mm -hmm. so how many sermons do you think you preached in 50 years oh gosh i don't know in the last few years um you know, I probably preached about 40 sermons a year, I'm guessing. I, it wasn't unusual for me to do three on and one off, and I really think in today's world that's about right. Mm-hmm. You you know, you just you, you, there's, you just need these breaks, especially if you're going to maintain the quality of preaching. Mm-hmm. I always say, you know, Christ United will make a good preacher out of you because they expect you to be <laughs> good, you know. So, um, so I don't know what that would be by uh, 50 years. Three of those years, I was an associate. So I guess it would be, or, or five of those years. I don't know. Anyway, maybe 45 years uh, preaching. And so whatever that would be, a couple, a th- a couple thousand sermons. Yeah. yeah. And what I think of often, by the way, that's even more 
for some reason, uh, I, I even appreciate this more is the number of children I've baptized through the years. Mm-hmm. I, I figured that, and of course, most of them here at Christ United and probably someplace between 1,200 and 1,500 <laughs> children. I sometimes say that um, when it comes to, occasionally I'll, you know, one of the staff members, staffing or somebody will have a baby and I'll say, hand me that baby. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'll say, you know, there may be an OB nurse or two around Dallas that have handled more <laughs> babies than I have, but <laughs> for the most part, you know, nobody's handled mm. more babies than I have. And it's just always such a joyful experience. Yeah, for sure. And, awesome. I, and, of course, I've baptized the children of, of ch- children that I've baptized. Right. And that's kind of where I – that's overwhelming. I kind of feel like the old country priest, you know, mm. that's been around and a part of the family for so many years. <laughs> Love it. So the uh, opening and closing hymns yesterday were both songs that are meaningful to you. Are you willing to talk about that at all? Are oh, you, yeah. Yeah, the Holtz piece – I actually requested that from. I just love that piece. It's it's from uh, a composition he did called "The Planets," and this is from the what, the one called "Jupiter." And I just think the music and the words are just phenomenal. And then the closing hymn, "Oh God, that will not let me go." It's a difficult hymn to sing, but that became uh, important to me and Burke Burnett because uh, we had so many tragic deaths in Burke Burnett, and I don't remember exactly when it was that I discovered that hymn, but the words. You know, uh, in are just it's incredible poetry and really pretty music as well, and so the the words of hope, and you know, when it got really dark and it just seemed like everybody was dying, I would turn to those words and they were really meaningful to me. Uh, So it's always been a a favorite hymn, but it's is a difficult hymn for a congregation to sing, but I got to tell you, Brian's. Uh, arrangement of that yesterday with the orchestra right. was just incredible, and I, I really hope he gets that published because it takes what is already a great hymn, but not a, an extremely well-known hymn, mm-hmm. and makes it just something pheno- phenomenal. And he worked in "Jesus Loves Me" in there, yeah, which is pretty nice, yeah, because that's what we sing here after baptisms. After baptisms, right. yes. Uh, Carl Bart was doing a lecture near the end of his life. I'm sure you've heard the story, but he. I think it was, he might've been at union actually. And, uh, yeah. he, uh, somebody asked him what the most important verses, uh, what the most important thing, you know, he, cause he wrote the summa, right? Right. Um, right. Huge, huge theological, yes, huge yeah. theological work. I mean, he was a systematic theologian, so yeah. he devoted his life to it. And somebody asked him what well, the most important, like, what is the most important thing in Christian theology? And he said, yeah. Jesus loves me. Yeah, yes, I think I they said if you could summarize everything, you know, <laughs> yes. and he said, Jesus loves me. And of course he was such a brilliant and, uh, difficult in so many ways. I mean, he's so prolific with his writing. And I just think when, when he said that, what a beautiful comment that is. And it, it gets to that phrase that I love so much that I don't know anybody knows who it was that originally said this, but for the simplicity that lies on this side of complexity, I would give nothing. Mm-hmm. But for the simplicity that lies on the far side of complexity, I would give I would give everything. Mm-hmm. And so that's what Bart did with that summary mm-hmm. of of his understanding of the Bible. And of course, it's what Jesus did with all of his, you know, seemingly simple little stories and parables and and teachings. You read them and they seem so simple, but somehow he managed to get to the complexity on the far side of simplicity. And when when you can do that, that's that's true greatness. Yeah, you're doing something. Uh, so this is a little bit of inside baseball, but as a as a preacher, I gotta just say, uh, so you, your last sermon 
that you had preached before this was Palm Sunday of 2020. Yeah. Right? So that's a year and a half ago. Yeah. You haven't preached since. Preaching is very much about rhythm and three on, one off, whatever your normal rhythm is. To not have preached for that long and to get up with one take <laughs> and do what you did. Listen, I, you, I know you, I, you may not think of yourself this way, but you're a master communicator, master storyteller, master preacher. But to, to I was so looking forward to this sermon. And uh, to watch you yesterday was really quite a treat for me as a, as, a, as a fellow preacher. And to see how much the congregation loves you and vice versa. And like your timing and the stories were perfect. It was just, it was really, a, it was a thing of beauty. So thank you for that on well, behalf of everybody who got to hear you. <laughs> well, thank you. I have to tell you, I was scared to death. I mean, you know, this, you and Kim and others, I've just been stressed like crazy. Uh, and, and I really was stressed and I even kind of I didn't do everything say everything exactly right at the first the way I'd planned it but especially the comments about you had to circle back around you know (laughs) my comments about you and about about the bishop and giving uh, the bishop credit for bringing you here you know but I I was uh I was scared to death um and I'm just glad I got through it (laughs) (laughs) well it was not not just got through it it really was a, a thing of beauty thank you so you told a great story um I think went, I think you opened the sermon with the illustration about going to Frisco. Yeah, and um, my my family was in the front row with Todd's wife, and uh, I was I got to watch um, their faces when you told the story about John Daniel Funeral Home. So, uh, kind of a preacher connection here, a pastor connection. Um, so you were friends with John Daniel, who lent you the <laughs> the purple truck. the purple panel <laughs> truck, his purple panel truck, the flower truck for you to move to First Frisco. Uh, his grandson is one of my oldest son's best friends. That's in, so cool. In, in Sherman. Yeah. Yeah. I'd just say the church is a, it's a huge entity, but it's a small world. Yes. You talk with anybody long enough, if they've been involved in the church, you'll find those connections. And it's just really very, very cool. It's a really special thing. Yeah. It is. Another, another uh, advertisement for going into ministry. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious, uh, your impressions when you first moved here to Christ United, to the church on Glencliff, like, um, you're still early in your career at that point. Sky's the limit, right? Your your dad had served first Dallas. Yes, right? that's that's correct. Yeah. You know, I, I'm I guessing for a preacher of your generation, that was maybe the aspiration at some point to have a big steeple downtown church. Yeah. What were you, so what were your impressions when you first moved to Christ United? And at what point along the way did you think, hmm, this could be I I could have a long run here? Well, that's a great question. I. I think in some ways the answer to staying a long time goes back to that Frisco appointment. I, I didn't tell about this, but I was so mad being sent to Frisco, you know. I guess I was just an arrogant, you know, young guy. I don't, I don't know. But, but I, I said, I will never, ever ask them for an appointment. If I have to stay in Frisco the rest of my life, then that's what I'll do because I'm not going to ever ask. And uh, so um, – I stayed in Frisco five years, and that was a really long time. And then they came and asked me to go to Burke Burnett. But when I made that when I made that commitment, I thought, okay, then you've got to if if you're going to say you're not leaving, you've got to make this your Highland Park or your first church in Dallas, you know. And so we wrote, we relocated and bought the land out on Preston Road in Frisco, you know. And I, I think that was a, a was a good piece of work. So. When I came to, I, I knew that I, when I went to Burkevinette, I would not be there a long time just because of the nature of the church. When I came here, 
It was so different. Uh, suburban church. Everybody was young, mm. you know, like we mm. were had young children. And I just think there was just such great positive energy. Um, I knew early on, like say they were still, it was they when I got here. As soon as I got here, it became us. Yeah. We were still building the final sanctuary there. But I knew early on that the church would have a, a limited future uh, if it didn't relocate, because mm-hmm. we just had 4.6 acres. We didn't have enough parking. The, we built a new sanctuary, and immediately we had to go from two to three services. So uh, it it was challenging because this church was much more difficult to uh, relocate, really, than Frisco was, mm-hmm. oddly enough. Even mm-hmm. Frisco was an old, old church, and this church was only 10 years old when I got here. So um, it was exciting. There were so many people our age and as I say, the children's and youth ministries were just remarkable, along with the music ministry. But immediately we uh, started thinking, not out loud at first because it was right. too too much changed, but started thinking about the possibility of relocating. And, mm. and I tell that story because I, I think that I knew that relocation would would be a prerequisite for me staying. Mm. You know, okay. uh, it I just felt like it was so much a part of what I thought this church needed to do. Mm. I wouldn't have been upset or bitter about not relocating, but I, I knew I knew in order for me to have an extended ministry here, that relocation would be pretty important. Yeah. Okay. So, so you got here in '83. You started thinking about that in '83. <laughs> I started thinking about it when I came in. April, right around Easter of that spring, to to visit just to look at it before you before your first sermon here. Oh yeah, two or you, three months. But and I saw the, the 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 lot and you know the site, and I saw yeah. the sanctuary, and I said it's not big enough. Wow. Um, okay. I I've never that's admitted, unique. I've it. never told that to anybody, but so that's where, I mean, theologically speaking, we're all listening for the Holy Spirit all the time, yeah. right? And that. So your experience in Frisco in that way really did prepare you for this appointment. It did. Uh, we were beginning to understand Christ Church was located in an era when they were planning little neighborhood churches. Right. And they weren't talking about regional churches at the time. Mm. So it was it was really kind of, you know, the, the conference's best example of a real live mm. suburban church, neighborhood church. But we were moving into this era where people were – we're wanting the more robust programming mm-hmm. of a regional church. Mm-hmm. And there's just no way that Christ United could have become mm-hmm. a regional church. And so, um, yeah, my experience in, in Frisco, I think. And look, um, my predecessor, Fred Candler, started the church. He'd been here 10 years. And uh, he told me not to, and he was a great predecessor, by the way. I, mm-hmm. I pray that I'll be as good a predecessor <laughs> to you as he was to me. But he told me I was shocked. But he said, oh, yeah, he supported the idea. There mm-hmm. were some opponents to relocation. But Fred told me at one point, he said, that it definitely needs to be done. Huh. But I, what was difficult is that we had a great big debt uh, on the current sanctuary, mm-hmm. and we just finished a sanctuary, you know, mm-hmm. so I couldn't start talking about relocation. Yeah, I had yeah. to wait a few years okay. uh, to do that. Well, that's my next question. Yeah. So you, when did you start thinking out loud about the move or talking about it? I guess um, I moved here in 83. We finished the sanctuary in August of 83, and I'm guessing about 87 or so. I maybe hmm. had talked to a few people about it, but we formed what we called a compass committee, hmm. a long-range planning committee, and, and we started talking about it. 
and we just couldn't get off dead center. Hmm. Um, and one night we we would meet a, at a Mexican food place, um, Tino's over in the mall. <laughs> and um, one night we had a meeting of the compass committee, and I was getting a little frustrated because we just couldn't seem to to make up our minds. And um, and at the end of the meeting, I kind of made a little speech. I still remember this. I said, look, I've been here about four years now, and I know that every new preacher comes and, and he gets what I call five silver bullets. You know, it's what mm-hmm. people refer to as the honeymoon. But five silver bullets, you, you get some capital that you can use. And I said, I've saved mine, and I'm fixing to play all five of them right now. <laughs> wow. And I just said, I think – this church has to relocate if mm. we want to have a really vibrant future mm. and a future Wesleyan expression for our children and grandchildren. Mm. We just need to, to be where the growth is and where we can have more space. And, I mean, I just challenged them, and I'll just never forget. They they said, okay, huh. let's let's go. And so it was, like I said yesterday, you point them in the direction and, and let them go. Huh. Relocation was, I don't want to minimize the hard work. It's really hard. Sure. Finding this location, this location was with the RTC, the Resolution Trust Corporation, now the savings and loan debacle of the hmm. of the later 80s. And there were 226 acres here, I think, and we couldn't touch it. The RTC in Kansas City had it because of whoever owned it at the time. And I said, we just want to buy a few acres. And, uh, you know, the RTC, they became known amongst real estate people as it meant refuse to close. <laughs> um, and I, I remember making calls to senators and congressmen uh, to try to lobby. Look, we want to buy some land from the, from the federal government. Did somebody help us? And finally, a, a big contractor came along that wanted to buy all 226 acres and and they were willing to um, cut cut off this 14 acres for us. And mm-hmm. it was just a great deal. And it's just ridiculous. We we bought this corner at, for under a million dollars, 900 and so I don't remember exactly. Whoa. And I said at the time that we will look back and we'll say that that was one of God's miracles. And, of course, it was. 14 we, acres? 14 acres. Yeah. Less than a minute. Wow, yeah. Holy cow. We, we couldn't have done it, you know. We we could, if we could cut off the corner where the pumpkin patch is now and put a gas station there these days, I don't. A pad site like that would be worth millions. I, right. You know. Wow. So just out of curiosity, so that meeting at Tino's, um, what mall are you talking about? Uh, the old Collin Creek, Collin Creek Mall. mall. Collin Creek Mall. I figure yeah. that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, there look, are lots of options now. <laughs> and look, you got to you got to imagine what Plano looked like in. At that time, the medical center Plano was just sitting out by itself mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that people know this. The little video they showed yesterday where the kids are yeah. running across the that green field, site. that was this side. Yeah, yeah. And Al Bond did that, that with with a – we didn't have drones back then. He did that with a hot air balloon. Did he really? Al Bond was up there with a camera and a hot air balloon. And Al was here, here yesterday. Yeah, he was here, and we're coming. One of those, Jeffrey, one of those little kids was his son. No kidding. And you talk about one take. I mean, we got hot air, but we got one chance, and he got it. And it was that was pretty cool technology back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Okay, so for the sermon, the primary text you chose was Genesis 12. And, um, I mean, anybody who's heard you preach long at all knows that this concept of the journey yeah. has been an important metaphor for you. Yeah. So talk about why you chose that text and, and just why metaphor mean, I mean, why the journey metaphor means so much to you. 
Yeah, I love the text, and I don't know you do too. That was the first text you preached, uh, your, your first sermon when you came here, and, and we talked about it. First of all, from our Christian, Judeo-Christian perspective, I mean, this was the moment that faith was born, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we read Genesis and read, read all that stuff about creation and how God said it was good, but this is the first kind of human-God interaction where God says, trust me, mm-hmm. and so I just think in lots of ways, this is the beginning story. Um, secondly, it became a very important story. When you switch over to the 15th chapter, it, it's a kind of repeat of that, except God says, you know, look at the stars in the sky. And one of these days, he fills out the promise mm-hmm. about uh, about Isaac having a son and having generations. And so I preached that a lot when we decided to relocate. I, I thought just having a bigger building, more parking places, that's not going to be compelling. Mm-hmm. What's compelling is a vision about how we're going to be the church. And so I started talking a lot and reading that passage about our children and our grandchildren being faithful mm-hmm. to them, mm-hmm. you know. And then the, the concept of journey itself has, I think, been very important because here at Christ United, we've always had a very diverse congregation. We've had people who r- read the Bible literally, or and maybe even some that read it inerrantly, and mm-hmm. they believe that the that the world was uh, created in in seven days. Mm-hmm. You know, mo- not very many. Uh, and then we have people who read the Bible much more liberally uh, and metaphorically, and everything in between. And so somehow I, I stumbled upon this theological concept that we're on a journey and we're in different places on the journey and that one of the ways to maintain a very diverse congregation especially theologically is to is to teach ourselves to be respectful of somebody else's position Mm -hmm. so i i did a lot more it's built into our culture now but in the early years you know i said we're all on a journey and we're in different places so you might not be in the same place as somebody else theologically but just use that as an opportunity to learn from them and let them learn from you. And I have to tell you, Christ United has been a beautiful, for 37 years, a beautiful church to to live in and preach in and teach in theologically because they've always, it, it's we've never had, you know, uh, lots of judgmentalism mm-hmm. or condemnation from people mm-hmm. within the church. You know, big, it's happened a little bit, but big fights within Sunday schools over interpretation of the Bible. We This church has been wonderful at accepting uh, uh, other people's interpretations of the mm-hmm. Bible and, and saying, let's grow together. That's one, been one of the greatest things about Christ. Mm-hmm. So I call that the journey, you know. That's great. And it's it's been our way of kind of keeping everybody headed in the right direction, yeah. same direction. That's a dying art, too, in our culture. Yes. The ability to agree to disagree. And- oh, it's it's the greatest challenge that we have in America today. I I think I alluded to this just briefly in my sermon yesterday when I said after 20 years, 20 months of a pandemic, maybe it's time for us to give up our childish ways. And <laughs> I think I made a comment about our, our pettiness and our judgmentalness. Mm-hmm. We, we, as Christians, surely, and as Americans, must find a way to get beyond just these superficial disagreements mm-hmm. where we're blowing up at one another and, and find a dialogue that goes deeper where we, where we can find and celebrate our common humanity. Amen. I mean, I, I, I do think that's when we can figure out a way to do that, we are being countercultural. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. The great thing about the Methodist Church in general, and there are particular congregations of the United Methodist Church that are better at this than others, is my experience. 
but the ability to sit in the pew next to somebody that you definitely don't see eye to eye on, on, you know, social issues or politics or whatever, but to be pulling in the same direction, you know, both turning in bags for the Thanksgiving basket program and working on all the missions and focused on the mission. It's the great beauty of the church and of our theology. You know, I say about the church, institutionally, the church is a, is a center like all institutions. You know, we ought to take a kind of a Niburian uh, skepticism towards all our institutions because we can fail as institutions. And we certainly don't want to be in the business of just of institutionalism where we just protect the institution for itself. But having said that, I believe in the church as an institution so much because it's the only institution that's based on this concept that we're to love God and love one another. Right. What other, where else would we talk about love, you <laughs> right. know, other right. than the church? And um, we have a, a great challenge ahead, I think, um, maintaining and, and building from within on our strengths the life of the church. But I think it's so important. Yeah. Well, that's a great segue to... The second text. I wasn't expecting you to introduce the second text yesterday. Yeah. So talk about that. So you you uh, and of all of all passages mm-hmm. to go to, First Corinthians thirteen. I mean, the, what is is not necessarily a wedding passage, but is often used at weddings. Yeah. But how, like, how did you come up with that, and and what's the connection? Well, it's real interesting. Uh, you made a comment about it yesterday, and you're just so sharp, and so you you know that I broke some real homiletical rules <laughs> when I uh, preached that sermon yesterday. Um, and somebody told me that Alice McKenzie was here. I'm sure if Alice were critiquing it, she 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 would get on me about this. But you know, typically you wouldn't start a sermon with um, Genesis 12 and to start talk about the journey and you kind of go and I kept it pretty consistent through there and then all of a sudden get to the end and hopscotch over to one of Paul's yeah. letters you just wouldn't do that but here's the story I just I had most of that sermon for quite a while but I had just struggled and struggled mm-hmm. with the ending I couldn't figure out a, a good ending for my thesis which was about the journey which would also be a good ending for my final words. Mm. And I'd had four different endings, and I'd just gotten frustrated and thrown them away. And uh, Wait, I want to stay there for a minute. All right. I mean, listen, I'm not just blowing smoke. One of the, one of the greatest ministers, preachers of your generation, you're, uh, a sermon I'm sure you've thought about a lot. Even, even you, as experienced as you are and as good at, as you are at this, had several different, like, was struggling to figure out a, a way to close it. Oh, it, it was terrible. I, <laughs> I I felt real confident until I got to the last week because I thought I had about two-thirds of it. I knew I wanted to preach on the yeah. journey, and I had a lot of it about the exodus. So I had plenty of time the last week, but the last week, I, I you know, a sermon has got a beginning and an ending and then something in between, <laughs> and uh, that's a simplistic way of thinking about it. But I figured out a few years ago that when I'm having trouble with a sermon, it's important to identify where the problem is because for instance if you don't have a good ending you can't really make the middle part right it's mm-hmm. all got to weave together mm-hmm. you know and so um i'd had several different endings i hated them i was just getting really frustrated and and meanwhile the the part that i had the beginning and the middle i was just overcooking that you know <laughs> because i couldn't get to the ending and I, friday evening uh, i mean i just dis, i was so frustrated and friday evening just out of the blue mm. I've always loved that, that, Paul, that Paul Paul's words about when I became a man and put away childish things and the fact that now we can't, because this is our human experience, mm-hmm. we can't see now, but one day we'll see face to face. We have to admit our intellectual, you know, be yeah. intellectually humble in saying there's things that we can't know. So I've always loved that passage. 
And I don't know how it came to me. It was mm-hmm. just a right brain thing. It just came into my right brain. And I knew at the time that it was homiletically, it's just not something that you're <laughs> supposed to do. Uh, so what we call transitions, the transition from the, the middle part of the sermon, the body of the sermon, to that final concluding part was uh, a little tenuous. I had to work on it a bit, and I finally came up with this with this phrase that, you know, Paul reflecting on his own journey yeah. in order to connect the ending with the middle. And I think um, I, I th- I'm pretty happy with it, and a lot of people <laughs> have commented. It was awesome. <laughs> a lot of people have commented that they appreciated it. Uh, but still, it was, it's it you know, Sometimes you can break the rules and it works. Yeah. And I think that's partly because it was my final words. And I mean, how can you get better than faith, hope, and love? The greatest of these is love. Mm. But it was an unusual sermon. And so I, I hear Alice McKenzie was here, and I'm going to call and get her to, uh, to see if, what she has to say about my breaking <laughs> of this homiletical <laughs> format. I mean, over the years, I, I'm not sure that I've ever heard you use two texts in a sermon. Do you do that, Ralph? Probably not. I, you know, I, I used some text yesterday as illustrative sure, material. You talk sure. about the journey, yeah. But I'm sure I've done it before because I've I've preached a few good sermons and a lot of <laughs> pretty rough ones. So I'm sure I've done it before. But typically, it's it's not something I would do. I mean, you know, one of the ways of of um, forming a sermon is to end by coming back around to your beginning mm-hmm. and finishing. And and Abram said yes to God. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the endings I had. Typically, you'd go back to that uh, 12th chapter of, of Genesis, uh, and I didn't do that. And like I say, it, it was a very unorthodox uh, way of approaching it. But when I when I got it, when it came to me, I just had some energy around it. There you go. And That's really, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and, it, and a lot of it was over Paul's words that, mm-hmm. you know, when I was a child, I, I thought and spoke and reasoned like a child. I, that's a part of that chapter that we rarely read right. you know uh, and if we do read it we're just skipping through it to get yeah, to yeah. the end real quickly right, to get to the good stuff at the and end. to me right. it's just a really powerful um <laughs> scripture and mm. i've always loved it and so I, I had a lot of good energy around it and then i thought finishing with faith hope and love that 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 our journeys it's so mm. easy for us to define our journeys by our careers mm. our you know social status our marriages or just the you know the the long itinerary of things that we've done, places that we've been. But Paul was, he was dead on when he mm. said that, you know, when you come to the end of your journey or if you're in the middle of your journey, you know, let's try to, to make it what really counts on that journey, mm. our faith in God, hope, and love. That's awesome. So Alice was my preaching professor at Perkins. I'm quite certain she would have given you an A+. Plus. Maybe. And I, and I saw her after the service, so she was definitely here. Oh, you did? I yeah. didn't see her. Uh, you know, she, uh, my last sermon was, I, I get a big kick out of this, Palm Sunday mm-hmm. of 2020. And Alice had critiqued so many of my sermons through the years. And she was relentless. She said, every sermon has a problem, and she's right. <laughs> and she never slacked up on me at all. And so when she critiqued my, we met in my office on that Palm Sunday sermon and she kind of goes she said well you know this is really good she said, you know don i really just can't find anything wrong with this sermon i said alice after all these years of ripping my sermons you're just trying to give me a break i said here's what's wrong with this sermon i went down the line she said oh yeah you could have done that a little better we're, we're very close and uh it was just so 
I just thought it was kind of cute of her that she said, I'm just not going <laughs> to rough him up on his last sermon. So we'll, we'll see what she has to say about this one I did yesterday when I really broke some, some homiletical rules. That ah, was terrific. It really was. Um, okay, so moving past the yesterday specifically, uh, Todd did this funny thing where he didn't want you to let the – get. did he make that car – was that carving of you or was it one he found that looked like you? The one no, time. Oh, it just looked like okay. me, yeah. So, uh, I'm, pr- I, I'm not positive about this, but I think if people were to see us side by side, most people would think that I'm, I'm better looking. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. And, and he did this thing where he said, don't let dust collect on your retirement, knowing full well that's not how you're wired. Yeah. So talk about your, your ongoing work now here at Crush United. Well, of course, I, I love what I'm doing, and I didn't expect to be doing it. I thought Bobby and I'd go find – our another church you know and and typically that's probably what preachers should should do for their successors but you were so gracious and said won't you be pastor emeritus and and as you know we and i talked i said well give me something to do (laughs) so we we talked about raising money for the endowment which we've been doing and i've just been it's just been so gratifying we've as you know we've We've got several million. We'll make an official announcement in the spring, maybe. But we've got several million in planned gifts mm-hmm. for our endowment, and I'm such a believer in the endowment because all of us have got so much of our uh, of our you know our work, our time, and our and our wealth invested in this church. Mm-hmm. An endowment. See to it that it that it never ends. The right. endowment is in perpetuity, and hopefully the endowment will be able to pay for a lot of the maintenance on an old building as the building gets old so that our children and grandchildren can raise money, you know, purely for ministry. So I've enjoyed uh, talking with people about the endowment. I'm looking forward. If anybody's listening, they want to talk with me about the endowment. I'd love to sit down and have a cup of coffee and talk about it. And then I was still a little bored. Uh, and so I said, uh, and I never thought I'd want to do this, but I said, what about a director of donor relations? And, um, I've served on my college board for I think, 23 years, I think. And mm-hmm. so my model for that are these, these great development officers at SMU and Southwestern and Notre Dame and other colleges. They just um, know how to communicate. And really all I do, it's the simplest job in the world. All I do is thank people. Mm-hmm. I call people up um, and say, I just want to thank you for your commitment and your generosity to Christ United in more ways than one, but certainly your your generosity with uh, your uh, with your monetary gifts, and it's been very rewarding because I hardly get the words out of my mouth, <laughs> and people start saying, "Don, I just want to thank you for Christ Church," and they mm-hmm. just start talking about all the wonderful things that Christ United uh, has done for them. I mean, those of us who believe in the church, and we believe in this church, and we've seen with our eyes on a daily, at least a weekly basis, how somebody's life is changed by this church. Um, you know. Celebrating and thanking the gifts of money is is just really joyful and mm-hmm. and people appreciate it and I I've enjoyed it. It's a lot more phone calls than I than I thought I would enjoy. <laughs> Mary Harris, you know, she she could make those phone calls all day long, and I think how boring can that be? But I've <laughs> I've I've come to understand how energizing it is. Yeah, and so I'm enjoying that. Chris, as you know, I mean. I, I, I just believe in the church mm. and your being here and your leadership at this particular moment um, gives me so much confidence mm. uh, in the future of this church and that our best days lie ahead. I, I know that our most important days lie ahead mm. because we're living in a culture that doesn't much uh, respect or follow the leadership of the church, mm. but we're more important than ever before. Amen. Amen.
So people can see you on Sunday mornings, right? Oh you're, yeah, you're you're on campus on well, you're on campus every day. Yeah, I'm 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 here pretty much every day. Yeah, you know, I, you know when I get up in the morning, I get up early and I go through a little routine. And when I get in my truck, my truck says a regular <laughs> regular trip. I say, yeah, it drives me, drives me up to the office, you know. And um, where is your office? If people don't know, well, my office is on the south side in the suite where the finance office is. Mm-hmm. It's a little difficult to get to because for security purposes, we keep the finance office. Um, locked most of the time, even when we're in there. But I'm actually in my old office, my first office when we moved mm-hmm. over here into phase one. So it's a very comfortable place, and it's got a great uh, view out onto the south parking lot, but there's kind of a garden and trees there. So anytime anybody wants, there's a little, if it's if it's locked, there's a little doorbell. Yeah. You ring the doorbell, one of us come get you. So people should stop by anytime. And, and I hang around. Uh, I mean, I love going to church. I just, mm-hmm. I love... I, I can't imagine not coming at this point, even though I didn't think it would be this way. I can't imagine not coming to this church, hearing you preach, hearing mm-hmm. Stephanie preach. And, and um, seeing the church family. And seeing the church family. and Great music, I, that beautiful I hang sanctuary. Out, yeah, I, I try to be a little low-key, but I, I hang out a lot out in the in the narthex so people can spot me. If they want to talk about something, then they can do so. I don't do weddings. <clears throat> Retired preachers, this is just how we do it in Methodism. Mm-hmm. I don't do weddings or... or um, Funerals are baptisms, and uh, those are just great, such important, sacred acts, and they should be done by the active members uh, mm-hmm. of the staff. So I don't do that anymore. But um, but I love still having relationships and awesome. Well, I I can't imagine this is going to be the last time we'll have you on a podcast. But for this episode, any other any last thoughts, closing thoughts? I'll know, except just to say that I've never done a podcast before, <laughs> and uh, you're a great host. I mean, it. it um, uh, I thought I'd be real tired today, which I am, but it's really been a, a lot of fun, and I appreciate you inviting me to being a part of uh, what do you call it? The what's the off end? script? Off script. Yeah, I feel pretty off script today. So <laughs> it's been a great time. Thank you for having me. Well, listen, on behalf of God, only God knows how many people. But thank you for 50 years of incredible ministry. Thank you for everything you've done here at Christ United. We're all the the beneficiaries of your legacy. And yesterday was uh, an incredibly uh, fitting celebration of of you. As uncomfortable as it made you feel, (laughs) having the the spotlight on you. um, We all love you, and we're grateful for you. Thank you very much. All right, friends. uh, Next week, I'm going to be preaching on... What is it? Thanksgiving Sunday. Mm-hmm. Reagan will be back, and uh, we're always great uh, grateful. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a season of gratitude to spend some time with you each week. So we'll probably revisit the favorite Thanksgiving foods. We definitely again. will. We'll talk about appropriate uh, servings of cranberries. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's good for Thanksgiving and all that kind of stuff. So uh, God bless y'all, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Script. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Script. It was hosted by Reverend Chris Dowd, produced by Ashley Danner as a part of the Christ United Podcast Ministries. You can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to see all of the series we have available. Like, subscribe, and follow us so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great week.